There you go. There's the music. That means it's time for Animal Talk. Some of the best doggone pet people on the planet helping you with your pets, whatever the problem is. Talking about pet adventures, uh, pet problems, animal issues, and, and everything in between. I'm Jamie. I want to appreciate uh, everybody for, for joining the party. Uh, please take a moment, like, subscribe, comment, all that business. And uh, again, AnimalTalkRadio.com is uh, your one-stop shop for uh, all the Animal Talk shenanigans. And uh, today we're, uh, we're going to sweat it out a little bit. <laughs> we're <laughs> sweating to the oldies. Uh, no, just being silly. But uh, our guest today, uh, author and uh, activist, I would say, uh, Ethan Brown. Ethan, uh, welcome to Animal Talk. I love uh, under you there the the sweaty penguin. <laughs> Thanks for having me. So, Ethan, uh, before we get into uh, the animal stuff, uh, Ethan, tell me about your childhood. Sure. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I grew up in Bethel, Connecticut, and I was never all that outdoorsy growing up um, around fourth, fifth grade, my dream was to open a restaurant called Brownies. I made this whole plan with my friends, created a website, learned how to cook all different things. Um, and then in more, I think, fifth grade to maybe 10th grade, I actually went down this whole rabbit hole performing a mental math stage show called Mathemagics. <laughs> so I was performing, I got to go to New York City, Las Vegas, Chicago, New Delhi, all over the world doing this show. Um, I was trying to, at the time I really loved math and I was trying to show people that math was fun and interesting through this show. Realized in high school that I could not do calculus or statistics or anything to actually pursue math as a career. Um, I was more just into the numbers and patterns and that kind of thing. But it was around then that I started learning about climate change and I was really struggling to become interested in it. I saw it as really important, but I took an elective on it in high school, didn't really like it. And it really <laughs> took until college uh, where I was just like, okay, at this point I was interested in film and television. And I was like, all right, I need to be able to tell stories. This is an important story. I have to figure out a way to like this. And once I did, after taking some courses, that was kind of, the precursor to what the sweaty penguin ended up being. So I see this kind of through line from childhood to now of combining education and entertainment in very different ways. So the sweaty penguin uh, is a, is a podcast and it's, it's a, a, a blog attached to uh, it, to it as well. And, and you're writing about this. Yeah. The sweaty penguin began, well, actually began as a very small blog, then scrapped that and started the podcast in early quarantine. So that's been almost two years now. Okay. And um, now we're growing very quickly. So we're doing a lot more web content as well. We just launched a website redesign uh, very recently. The podcast is sort of a deep dive into individual climate issues. We will do a comedy monologue, sort of like uh, if you watch any late night John Oliver, Hassan Minaj type, um, breaking down an issue. Okay. And then we'll talk about it with an expert. And we've interviewed professors from 11 countries across five continents and wow. had the pleasure to talk to some really cool people. So, because, yeah, it's, it's taking a, a lighthearted look uh, at climate change. Uh, I just, uh, cause I, I, like I said, I teach high school too. And, and, uh, 
I have my English 12 kids, uh, you know, they do a research paper and, and I, I, I tease, you know, and, uh, and, and, uh, you know, I tell them, you know, you're picking a topic, you know, you know, the, you can talk about the environment, you can talk about famous people, you can write about, you know, you can, you can research anything, you know, like if you want to, if you want to do some fiction, you can talk about that, uh, you know, that whole fakey climate change thing, you know, <laughs> and then you get the, some kids that are like really passionate about it. Uh, and they kind of lose their mind. You don't understand how dangerous this is. And I'm like, okay, you guys don't understand comedy apparently because, <laughs> because I was just Joking. Uh, but I, I like that uh, uh, you, you, you're taking a, a, a lighthearted look at it. But uh, how, how serious is the problem? There's, uh, are, you, are you a big podcast listener? I've asked you six questions there in that one thing. Let me, let me, let me start with just one. Yeah, pick your favorite. Uh, uh, are, you, are you a big podcast listener? Do you listen to many other podcasts? I do. Uh, okay. My feed may surprise you. I'm a big Pittsburgh Steelers fan, so okay. most of my podcasts are sports uh, and Steelers stuff. Have you ever heard of The Dollop? I have not. Oh my god, okay. Um, so it's, uh, it's an American history podcast. Uh, there's uh, two comedians, uh, Dave Anthony and uh, Gareth Reynolds. Uh, and uh, Dave Anthony is like, he's like a history nut. Uh, he just loves history. And Gareth is just kind of like uh, your average Joe doesn't mo- know much about nothing. And, uh, but very, very funny. And uh, uh, Dave will start telling him a story. He's like, Holy crap. This is the invention of crazy glue. Or, you know, or it's like, Holy crap. This is Harriet Tubman's story, you know? And it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's as the story unfolds. Uh, but they are really big climate change advocates uh and they're they're trying to do this 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 grassroots thing uh and they they got really frustrated because it just stalled uh because people just didn't seem to just aren't taking it seriously so which leads me to to my second question so one check out the dollop because it's really really funny american history yeah, stuff. Uh, and they're huge uh, uh you know activists for uh climate change uh but it, how big of a problem is it? Because they, the, to listening to them guys, because they'll they'll talk about it post. They'll do their whole, you know, oh, it's about uh, you know John Delorean or oh the one about uh, the the Uber guy. Oh my god, it's so it's so funny. It, it, it's awful, and it's just uh, it, you know it's, it's they just show the the ugly side of of, of human nature and and makes make fun of it along the way but uh, at the end of the the show they'll talk about they try to advocate for the climate change and, and people just don't take it but they are so passionate about it and they're saying we are we are in serious serious trouble and not like oh this will happen to my great 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 grandkids it's like they're like no this could very well go to pieces in our lifetime is is that true how how much trouble are we in yeah people are often a little surprised that we do comedy and climate change and mm-hmm. don't get me wrong. Comedy does not mean sugarcoating. Climate right. change is really, really serious. Okay. Uh, not only is it, uh, you mentioned the whole problem for your children and grandchildren. Not only is it not that far out into the future, but it's here right now. Okay. We've seen uh, historic hurricanes like hurricane Ida last year that, drove from Louisiana all the way up the East coast. We've seen historic wildfires. Colorado just had one yeah. end of December that literally snow had to help put it out. Um, we've seen new research that the Thwaites glacier in Antarctica, which is the size of Florida is now uh, in about five years, will fall into the ocean and think about what a 
block of ice the size of Florida <laughs> is going to do for sea level rise. So we're seeing a lot of this now, and it's really affecting a lot of people, and it's affecting all of us in terms of our health, uh, our money. Um, you think about how many of your tax dollars are going toward cleaning up these storms. Uh, so it's it's here. What I've been trying to do is frame this a little more accurately. Climate change is not going to cause the extinction of humanity. <laughs> Even if we did nothing, I don't think it would get that far. And uh, obviously we do want to do something, but that's because we want to live a life in the future that is similar-ish to the one we live now. And so I prefer not talking about how do we fix climate change, but rather how do we get it under control? How do we okay. create a world similar to what we have today? Okay. So, so it, what, what are the immediate dangers? What, what, uh, what, what are the immediate uh, repercussions? Are we losing, uh, are we losing uh, species? Are we, are we losing, what, what are the immediate dangers uh, afoot here? I feel but like this is some of the place, most overwhelming this, talk that I give as a comedy person, but yeah. yeah, we're in the middle of a mass extinction event, I think on the scale of thousands times worse than by natural causes. Oh, wow. um, we're losing so many species all over the world. Um, in particular, you think about these tropical rainforests where, and a lot of islands where there will be species that are just on this island. I didn't realize until we did an episode uh, that it came up in, but the, what's it called? The animal that Sasha Baron Cohen plays in Madagascar. Well, okay. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Lemur, I think. Yeah, yeah. lemur. Uh, those are only on the island of Madagascar. Oh, okay. So there are species like that that are actually quite common that we know about that um, are not just endangered, but like they're in one spot. And when you have a place like Madagascar that's getting whacked by cyclones now, mm. that's that's a big concern. So certainly for animals, climate change is a really big deal. And very a lot of them are facing other environmental threats as well. A lot of marine species see things like commercial fishing, uh, runoff. Um, you can say the same about on land. There's a lot of deforestation. There's a lot of land change. So yeah, animals are uh, going through it just as much as people are. So I think that might uh, it just uh, you know armchair quarterback it that that might be you know the 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 heartstring to pull on because you know people ah oh, don't give a crap about you know those people living over there or wherever you know uh, but you, you you put a you throw some Sarah McLaughlin on underneath it and have a couple fuzzy animals that are in trouble uh, you might get people to do something. Uh, and, and react to it. I think, I think every person responds a little differently. Yeah. And that's why on the sweaty penguin, I always try to break down every facet of an issue. So I'll talk about how something affects the environment, uh, which would include things like animals and plants and all that good stuff. I'll talk about how it affects the economy. I'll talk about how it affects health, justice, security, climate change really finds its way into all different facets of our life. And I feel like if, uh, like for me, I wasn't really a nature person growing up. Mm -hmm. I have learned to really love animals, but um, it's hard for me to maybe care about a national park the way another person might. But I 
certainly care about how much money's in my bank account. I care about my health. Um, So those are angles where I can look and say, all right, this really affects me, even if I can't necessarily relate to this faraway island that I've never heard of. Who, who are our big culprits? Is it, is it, is it, is it our petroleum and coal based energy? Is it, what's, what's the biggest culprit? So climate change is caused by greenhouse gas emissions, um, carbon dioxide. It's cows. It's the damn cows. I'm kidding. All right. Go ahead. (laughs) I'm sorry. That's a whole other rabbit hole. Um, (laughs) The people do blame the cows. The cows are, cows are messing us up. We'll go down this for a minute. So um, cows belch methane as part of their (laughs) digestive process. Um, So in that sense, yes. Um, That said, there are ways to improve on that. And I think that's also, it, it is a serious percentage of global greenhouse gas emissions, particularly methane, but it's something that can be improved and it's something that I think ultimately we're trying to find the low hanging fruit when we talk about solutions. And that is possibly the highest fruit on the tree. Maybe Uh, like you can't control cow's digestive process that much. Um, So if we're looking to things like um, fossil fuel emissions, be it coal, oil, or natural gas, not only are these things that we have alternatives for, for the most part, but very often the alternatives are cheaper. Wind and solar have become increasingly competitive energy sources. Um, Even nuclear, you can throw that in the conversation. So certainly uh, when we're looking at how do we reduce emissions, I tend to prefer to say, all right, what's the easiest stuff we can do? Um, And cows are maybe at the bottom of that list. (laughs) You talk about nuclear, uh, and I was like, I was watching the Olympics, and there's like uh, the slalom, right? The, the skiers go down and flip and whatever. Uh, and, but they're showing this this long view of it, and like just it's got to be like not even 300 yards away are like these four like massive. What when I see them, I automatically think that they're nuclear reactors. Those you know those. Con- big concave things uh those big you know towers those big fat squatty towers there's like four of them and they're like and uh built on a, the former uh you know it was like smelting site or something and i'm like that's not a smell that's a freaking nuclear reactor <laughs> i'm like Whoa, what kind of propaganda is this i could be wrong they could use those big tower things in 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 smelting projects too i guess <laughs> uh but sure the hell looked like a nuclear reactor place to me <laughs> and i don't know if i'd want to be skiing in it so but anyway uh major aside so um the, the the culprits uh, of the uh, uh, fossil fuels and then the, the petroleum and the uh, all that uh, what I, electric cars and batteries scare me is there is there problems with have you heard about the the it's, 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 are there problems with the the batteries and the creation of, of the batteries for the you know these uh, electric cars absolutely every every climate solution has pros and cons okay. and that's important to always keep in mind with electric cars, of course, um, creating the batteries leads to lithium mining, which there have been a lot of land conflicts over that. Um, there've been attempts to 
do this mining in uh, Native American land, in um, environmental justice communities where it might be uh, more marginalized people living near that site. So those are important things to take into consideration. Also just the manufacturing process of the car, which you can say about all cars, not just right. electric, um, getting the metal, all, all that good stuff, growing the rubber to make the tires. We did a rubber episode recently. And then um, at the end of the car's life, where does it go? How does it get disposed of? So these are all important questions. And I think what surprises me is the sort of trendy thing is to get the electric car, right? But when you actually compare, if you have a gasoline powered car that reasonably fuel efficient, has some more legs on it, driving that to the end of its life would be less emissions than going out and buying a new electric car because of all of those inputs that I just discussed. Right. So right. I always think it's important to really consider the nuance of these things. I think it's easy to just jump on the trend, but in reality, it takes a little more thought before you do that. That's not to say electric cars can't be a viable solution. Certainly these things can be done safely. Um, it's just to say, maybe don't rush into it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's like, uh, you know, Michigan here in the cold and you know, how they work, you know, they're less effective in the cold, yada, yada, yada. Um, but yeah, so it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. Uh, but there's a lot of electric cars on the road, but I actually wouldn't mind. I could really use a self-driving electric car. Uh, I could just take a nap on the way to work. <laughs> you know, you catch up oh, on yeah. your sleep, <laughs> uh, you know, it doesn't have to fly. I'm not, I'm not <laughs> upset that we don't have flying cars yet. There's people that are, we, we should have had flying cars. We should have had flying cars by now, but I'm not too upset about that. I'll take the, uh, I'll take a self-driving electric. Though. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So what's, uh, what's, uh, what's the bang for our buck? What can, what can we do as individuals and what could we do is like, I mean, cause the United States is, uh, we're pretty, you know, we're, we're pretty mass con consumptive, uh, culprit here on the planet I, I would i would say uh or you know, again you've studied this uh are are we are we the, who is the biggest culprit is it is it us or is it somebody else in terms of greenhouse gas emissions uh cumulatively the united states have been the largest emitter today it would be china u.s would be number two okay um regardless can't even do, can't even do that right <laughs> now we're number two again <laughs> Yeah, um, I guess we're second to last if you want to do it that way. But yeah, in terms of where we can make progress, um, first off, I'll say that there's this environment versus economy idea out there that we just don't find to be accurate. We find in so many ways, the environment and economy can actually be improved together. You think about all those storms I was talking about, those certainly cost a lot of money to clean up. Uh, you think about solar and wind being increasingly competitive, but even just climate change is largely about efficiency. You think about if you can make your heating system run on less energy, you're gonna save money and you're gonna help the climate. So in so many ways, it's a much easier, it's not really a trade-off even, it's just a let's take these steps and improve everything. In terms of how we do that, um, I sort of give five little uh, things that individuals can think about because 
ultimately individual action works best when it's affecting community level change. Um, so first I always say, find the low hanging fruit. If you aren't a big meat eater, feel free to stop eating meat. If you, I'm not a big fashion person, so I tend to wear my clothes until they're, they've got holes in them as opposed to buying the new fast fashion trend all the time. <laughs> uh, so you can take steps like that, that fit your lifestyle, but I wouldn't, go overboard because then it's like dieting and you'll just kind of fall off the rails. Uh, second, I always say, do your research, things like that electric car dilemma I was talking about. You want to be able to understand those things and not just follow the trendiest thing to do. Uh, third, I always say uplift people who are doing good things. Um, in the U S I think that's largely about vegan bashing. I don't know why we insist on this. It's fun. Maybe. <laughs> But you, you, you know, um, you know, you know how you can tell if somebody's vegan, they'll tell you the, 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 the <laughs> in five minutes, they're going to tell you. <laughs> All right. No, yeah. sorry. Um, <laughs> say, and I'm vegan bashing. There we go. All right. see, it's, it's so easy. And <laughs> it's, it's the lowing fruit. I mean, yeah, there you go. I guess my feeling is they're doing us such a number, but like wh whatever reason they're doing it for, it really helps us out. So I feel like if that could at all be an impediment to someone deciding to be vegan because they don't want to be made fun of, then that becomes something I'm concerned about. But it's other things too. I mean, uh, if people aren't keeping up with the fashion trends, if people are using it, I don't know. There's a, there's a number of directions you can go there. I love um, those, these small actions. Do you think they you know, keep going? Yeah. Um, so four, I have five. So four okay. would be to use your voice. Um, and that can be a number of ways. Um, so you had titled me as an activist earlier. I actually wouldn't even go that far. I've seen a lot of environmental activists have a lot of success doing, whether it be protesting or volunteering. But for me, I can't stand an, crowds. I an awareness, like, an awareness, uh, an awareness uh, advocate. Yeah, there you go. Get that know. on your name tag. Awareness advocate. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think there's multiple ways you can use your voice. And for me, it was really, I was a writer. I liked uh, trying to explore the nuance and kind of use my comedy skills and have fun with that. So I created my podcast and my website. Um, you can do something at your job or in your home. You can really find ways to use your voice however you see fit. And then my last one is to talk to someone you disagree with. And I think this may be the most controversial of my five, but if you'll allow me to defend it, no, I no, think no, no. that a lot of past environmental progress has come when people are at least willing to talk to each other and agree on what the problems are. We look back at the 1970s. It was a few years after Rachel Carson's book, Silent Spring came out. Uh, there was a oil spill in 69. A lot of people were talking about the environment and what happened. We passed the Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, Endangered Species Act, established the Environmental Protection Agency uh, and a whole bunch of other major environmental legislation. And this was under a Democratic Congress and Republican presidents, Nixon and Ford. Mm -hmm. So when people were at least on the same page about what the problems were. Certainly they disagreed on solutions, but just by having that more productive conversation, we were able to make progress. So 
we're really pushing to try to move the conversation back into a, this is the problem, what can we do about it space. But even if you just talk to someone about sports or books or movies, just being cordial, you don't have to be friends, but just engaging with each other. I really think that is possibly the number one thing an individual can do to help the environment. It's interesting, uh, sociologically, right now, uh, people and and the algorithms um, are, are forcing you into these echo chambers of, of like-mindedness. Um, I, you know, I, I think, you know, you know, I think all the social media is in, in, in the, it's like, oh, you like these sorts of things. And so they give you more of those sorts of things. And, and it doesn't, it, 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 it actually shelters you from the things that, that you don't like that might make you uncomfortable or you might disagree with. Uh, I think our social medias are, are, are hampering the, the, the effort, uh, I, I think they're great because it's like, oh, let's have this meeting and let's do a protest or let's, you know, sign this petition or let's, you know, you know, activate on this. But you're only talking to like-minded people. It, it, it's, I think it creates like, I think it's like, a, I think somebody described it as an echo chamber. Uh, and I, I think that's, I think that might be uh, as fast as, as the internet and social media can spread. I think it's actually done the opposite and have, have, has, has slowed it down. I think the message is just circling within itself uh, and it's not getting out there. Uh, and, and then when you do get out there, um, <laughs> it, it, the, 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 the world we live in now, this cancel culture, uh, it, it, if you say something that makes someone uncomfortable, uh, you run the risk of of, of being canceled, uh, which is you know, and that that makes some people step back and and not want to step out uh, and have these engaging conversations. I don't know, my two cents worth there. <laughs> yeah, I think the echo chamber point is absolutely right, and it's a big concern of mine. Uh, you probably find it funny looking at my Facebook feed because I really make an effort to try to hear all different sides of everything and I'll join liberal groups and conservative groups and read comments and just get a sense of where people are at, what they're feeling. And my Facebook is trying so hard to figure out my political affiliation. And I'm like, that's not what I'm here for. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. just want to engage and can't mainly plan. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think for most people, they sort of, get boxed into whatever their political belief is without even realizing it. It's also extremely easy for misinformation to spread on these platforms on both sides. And um, yeah, suddenly everyone is on different realities as to how the world is. And that is not just hard to solve issues, but that becomes a threat to democracy when like, how do you fix things if you're not on the same page? Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's a whole other conversation. Um, I, oh, uh, cancel culture. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's a tricky thing, too. I know I'm extremely anxious, probably to a fault, about <laughs> saying something wrong. Um, but ultimately, for me, it's just come down to... Um, being empathetic, trying to learn other people's perspectives. FM if they can't take a joke. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, if someone, because yeah. uh, I ran my college satire publication for two years, and I think oh. that was a valuable experience as a writer, as a manager, but also learning how to write comedy and be held accountable because as editor in chief, I really made a point that I was accountable for everything that went out and no writer should get blamed for anything they did. It's my job to make sure it'll be okay. So I sort of internally fought many a battle to get certain ideas uh, out of the publication schedule, but Certainly, I've seen many college satire publications struggle with this and even make national news for making a mistake like that. And I really didn't want that to happen to me. Luckily, I only had to do one retraction in my two years, but that was a really valuable experience. And I certainly learned that the intent of a joke doesn't equal the impact of a joke. And it's important to try to think about it from all angles, listen if people are feeling a certain way about it. And ultimately I felt like my job was to entertain. So if people are upset, I didn't do my job. So maybe I should revisit. Yeah. Fair enough. What's uh, what's on the horizon for the uh, sweaty penguin podcast. So we are growing fast. We brought in a few new team members uh, this last month. We're doing a lot more web content now. So if you go to our website, uh, thesweatypenguin.com, we have listicles, quizzes, fun uh, comics, columns. We're going to be starting a news section very soon, an educational section soon. Uh, We'll also be starting a spinoff, or well, we sort of soft launched it already, um, a podcast called Tip of the Iceberg, where I... um, Got to keep the pun going. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I was, I was going to say the exhausted <laughs> possum or something. I don't know. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Tip of the um, iceberg. I like that. That's better. That's yeah. Better. So I do sort of my take on kind of the big environmental headline of the week, and then I'll answer a question from an audience member. And I think that's a really cool way for our audience to engage more. So lots of cool stuff on the horizon. I like it. So it's uh, available wherever fine podcasts are sold. Oh yeah, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, all that good stuff. Um, also, look up the sweatypenguin dot com, and also check out our Patreon page, Patreon dot com slash the sweaty penguin. You can support the show there, get some cool merch, get bonus content. Um, so that really helps us out as well. Sweet. All right. Anything else uh, you want to share before we take off here? I think we covered a lot, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the last quick anecdote I'll share since we are on a pet podcast. Yeah. Um, so I have a fish tank in my apartment and that's been Fish-ish. a really, really fun experience. But if I can just tell the story of where my fish came from, cause that really, uh, warms my heart a little bit. No, so, the, mommy, the mommy fish and the daddy fish really liked each other. <laughs> And oh no, not like that. Okay, All right, way, where'd the couple, where'd have, they come from? <laughs> by the way, I have shrimps in the tank too. And one day, I just saw a wall full of shrimp babies. I was like, "What the hell is Who left happening the, under my roof?" Who left the berry white on the shrimp tank there? Right. Um, anyway, yeah. So uh, the basically in the Amazon rainforest, there are uh, these 
basins full of water. And in the wet season, the water will rise and all the fish populations will explode. And then in the dry season, the water levels will drop and like 90% of them will pass away. And so in the fish keeping world, there's this belief that I think is true most of the time that you want to buy farm-raised fish as opposed to wild fish because you don't want to take them out of their natural habitat. But in this particular case, because of this population dynamic, there are fisheries in the Amazon rainforest where local people are catching these fish and putting them up on the aquarium trade. And that's actually a really, really awesome thing because these fish would have died otherwise. It's almost like rescuing them. So... I was able to get uh, my cardinal tetras from, uh, I was able to get them wild, which presumably would have been from one of those basins. And I thought that was really cool because not just does it rescue the fish, but it also provides a source of income for locals in the Amazon rainforest who otherwise would likely have to turn to deforestation to make money. So a really cool way that preserving the climate can also lead to economic gains. And a lot of cool fish. Now, did you rescue the fish or did the fish rescue you? That's, that's what oh. we- <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to uh, say both. <laughs> I was just full of both. All right. <laughs> Ethan, thanks. Uh, the Sweaty Penguin podcast. Check it out. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I just love the, the, the twisted fun take on, on uh, the environmental issues because it is, it is super serious and it is, uh, you know, it's, you can only laugh at it uh, and then keep trying to do the best, right? That's uh, that's the, the model, I guess. So, But, Ethan, thank you so much, uh, sweatypenguin.com, and uh, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was really fun to chat with you.